Hello, welcome back to Shaw Talk. This is episode three. Today I'm here with a special guest who is... Michael Eady, or Mike Eady. Who has been on, I think, episode six of Policy Wonk with uh, me and Joe. Mm -hmm. Posted last week. We had a very insightful conversation. Great time. Oh, no, not episode six. A special episode. Yes, yes. It was right after episode six. Special episode about the indictment and arraignment of the 45th president of the United States. Yes. So, Mike, why are we here? We are here to talk about Ohio. A couple things about Ohio. A couple things about Ohio. So, as many of you know, I'm a member of staff for the Cleveland State Vindicator magazine, a culture section editor, and that gave me the privilege, the honor, to edit a story written by our special guest, who's yeah. here to talk about it. Yep, that's what I'm here for. So, the... Story itself does not talk about Senate Bill 83 so directly, but we will be talking about that here because that has a lot to do with what my story does talk about. And what the story does talk about is who really owns Ohio's future and uh, the possible brain drain we could see as the youth of Ohio become less interested in sticking around, setting up futures here as they feel that there might not be a lot of you know, control and independence for them. Um, that there might be something better for them in a different state like Illinois, around Chicago, or in D.C., um, in metropolitan areas that are growing, whereas obviously Cleveland has been losing people. And really the social and cultural issues that have been letting this happen and making it worse every single year, especially things like gun violence, LGBTQ rights, abortion rights, um, other women's rights, press rights, public schooling, and higher ed. Just a lot of things that heavily, heavily impact the youth of Ohio and just how ignored they have become on these issues, or we've become on these issues. So Senate Bill 83, Ohio Bill, or Ohio Senate Bill 83, rather, is a reoccurring piece of, I guess, policy. Um, keeps popping up, and it popped, originally popped up in an episode of Shaw Talk. It made its way to an episode of Policy Wonk. Mm-hmm. It is a overhaul of higher education yes. in the state. Especially targeting these other areas that I was mentioning. Exactly. And uh, like rewriting history in a way so for, it's, for young people. It's a really big deal to us as Ohioans, to us as university students, to like public university students in Ohio. So in what ways does Senate Bill 83 stick out to you as the author of this story? So for me, my focus on it is how it's being engineered by an older cohort of Ohioans, an older, more conservative ruling cohort of Ohioans who are completely ignoring what young, soon-to-be you know, drivers of the economy and the future of the state. And it's something that they're taking cues from states like Florida and Texas on rather than looking at Ohio and the resources we have and the demographics that we have and the opportunities we have in cities like Cleveland that are on the lake um, and have access to fresh water and shipping routes and things like that, where you could have, you know, you could really leverage what we have for the youth in a positive way if you don't scare them all away by completely ignoring them and not just ignoring, but completely going against them. And for me, it's just the ignorance in how it is focusing on trying to strengthen these old ideals, old and outdated ideals that we basically already know are untrue about the Civil War and the Revolutionary War and the Civil Rights Movement and try to show the other side of them, which is, I believe, one of the major points of Senate Bill 83. Also, things like striking for faculty and teachers, many of whom soon to be will be young, like 
where a lot of teachers nowadays are already millennials and Gen Z. You're going to have university faculty who won't be allowed to strike or won't be allowed to demand higher pay or better working conditions, vacation hours, maternity leave. And that's in- incredibly unfair. I mean, how are you going to get a young working mother at, o- at Ohio State, for example, who wants improved maternity leave and wants to form a union and or wants to strike outside of that and is no longer allowed to because this bill demands that she can't do that anymore. Um, how are you going to get her to stay in, 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 in Columbus? The, the provision of the bill that bans striking for university employees is a step, one, in the wrong direction just as far as labor goes in general. Mm-hmm. But two, um, I've mentioned this before, I come from a family of educators. Right. Both my parents are, are uh, educators. My aunt is an educator. My grandpa worked for the schools for forever. All public schools in Ohio. And I don't know if you follow Columbus teachers unions stuff. When there's strikes, I, I usually notice. So there was a really big one this past summer. Right. Yes. Because Columbus City Schools, some of them didn't have air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And, and if the Ohio GOP can get away with banning university staff from going on strike... What's stopping them from banning high school staff, middle school staff, elementary, preschool? Yeah, because the argument is to protect the students, but it's it's a it sets a precedent that is very very dangerous for the rest of education as a whole, and Senate Bill eighty three as a whole is just a continuation of the GOP and the far right's war on education. Mm And that's something that we see, unfortunately, very significantly in Florida. Yeah. And, and that's something I really focus on, too, with my uh, story, my article, is the impact that Florida has had on Ohio's recent political shifts um, and how these are both essentially swing states, or used to be, and have shifted dramatically to the right, especially culturally. Um, Florida, a state that had previously, I mean, previously as in, like, they had a young Uh, a very quickly growing young part of their population, which has been, I guess, offset by so many older people moving to the state to retire. And then just really strange demographic situation there that isn't really mirrored in almost any other state. Ohio has a bit more of a typical Rust Belt situation that we've just aged. Um, And with gerrymandering, with suppression of youth voices, it's a shame to see a pro-union state like Ohio become so aggressive towards unionization and striking for one of the most important and impactful on young people's lives uh, in terms of institutions, which is education, higher ed. So some people have compared Ohio to Florida by saying that we're, we are the Florida of, we don't say the Midwest anymore on this show, so the oh. Great Lakes. No more Midwest. No more Midwest. We're the Great, Iowa, Great Lakes sure. region. Yeah. Um, but this is true. We're the Florida of the Great Lakes. We're the Florida yes. of the North. Yes. And it's because of things like Senate Bill 83. Yeah. It's a huge problem and it's terrifying. And a lot of people don't think that it's going to pass as is. I could see it not passing as is with the moderate wings of the GOP in Ohio. As red dominated as it is, um, the Republicans in the Ohio state legislature are not exactly a cohesive unit in the same way that the Democrats typically look like they are. Um, 
Yeah, a lot They're of people a over the place. Yeah. Correct. A lot of people say we have a three-party system in Ohio. Yeah. The far right, Democrats, and the moderate right. Yeah. And those moderate people will will be kind of not on board with this. They'll make they're likely to make changes out of fear that the Ohio Supreme Court, which does have some more moderate members who are totally cool with gerrymandering, won't be as cool with something like this <laughs> because totally cool. They have some reservations towards incredibly far-right policy. Uh, I guess they just don't see gerrymandering as incredibly far-right policy. In all fairness, everybody does it, but everybody has to do it as long as it's legal. So, as, I mean, we're kind of stuck in that situation as as a state that is just a little bit to the right. That makes it means we're all the way to the right politically. So in your previous appearances on our show, we talked about, like, red state, blue state, mm-hmm. 2024 stuff. States like Arizona and Georgia voted for Joe Biden. They're gradually moving to the left. Right. Arizona has maybe one, two more elections to solidify itself as a blue state. Yeah, I mean, and, and you could always see some flip-flopping happen, I think, but right. their demographics and Georgia with their Phoenix and uh, Atlanta metro areas growing as rapidly as they are, it's likely to keep going. And I don't, I, yeah, I don't see it slow down, slowing down, really. I would argue that that's a natural thing that's occurring. It's yeah. this people are shifting to the left, they're voting blue in states like that. Senate Bill 83 and, like, Florida's attack on education and Ohio's attack on education is a... I guess, man-made way mm-hmm. to solidify Ohio as a red state. Yeah. When in reality, we have like a very, very good it's possibility a, to be a swing state. And it is a slow shift that we're having that can really taper off and stagnate around a plus five red state without having to continuously keep going. And demographics-wise, once millennials and Gen Z do start to overtake older Ohioans as a big cohort of the population, and since we're not becoming as conservative as they are, or as they did as we age, it's likely that Ohio will probably stagnate around more of a swing state like it used to be, politically speaking. But before that does happen, I know a lot of these older people want to make sure they can you know, sneak in policies like this and ideas that will keep a stranglehold on the youth as they age and make sure that our ideas don't get too out there and too crazy. Uh, and it's scary. It's annoying. Um, it's something that we're probably all pretty used to, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, we might not be shifting to the left like Arizona or Georgia, but there's no reason that we need as artificial and shoehorned in of policies like Florida's been putting into place. Um, and I think it kind of shows like fear from their side. Correct. It's, it's a desperate move. Uh, it's not natural. It's not like they're just going with the demographic shifts. If we're like a plus five red state that has a Democratic senator and at least 45 to 47% of the state being Democrats um, and a younger population that will start voting more as they age... Uh, at least that's a percentage of the total voting population, then it it's just painful to see uh, and to just be in it and just know that it's just going to keep getting like this slowly over time. Um, and I think I mentioned on the last episode that I was on of the Policy Wong podcast that I'm curious to see if we have something bubbling under the surface like Wisconsin or like Georgia or like Arizona where out of nowhere, seemingly... 
and Wisconsin especially, because this is a state where demographics-wise it has shifted in a very similar way to Ohio. It's another Rust Belt state, another Great Lakes state. Um, much nicer way to say than Rust Belt, Great Lakes. Uh, so it's possible. Who knows? So we're, we're a state that voted for Obama both times. Right, yeah. And we're a state that voted for Trump both times. Mm-hmm. And historically speaking, we flip back and forth. The only, like, I think 2020 was the first time we didn't vote for whoever the president was since, like, Nixon. Yeah, and I think it'll be like that we can, a lot more than we think. We can get on. back to that. Yeah. And maybe not this election cycle, but maybe the next no. one. Maybe the one maybe? after that. I think it is unfortunately going to take people sticking around and pushing for younger people to vote more and be involved more, not just vote more, but actually do grassroots organizing and on-the-ground work and unionization, strikes, labor movements, um, petitioning for ballot measures, which is something that has been done in Ohio. Um, Obviously, we had a ballot measure for legalizing marijuana. It failed. If it did pass, DeWine would have vetoed it anyways. But things like that, like the abortion uh, petition going on to get uh, that on the ballot, is really important to show that just like states like Florida and Kansas, uh, while our governor, unlike Kansas, I guess, in this way, might be a Republican and our state legislature might be completely Republican and our courts might be completely Republican, we might vote for Republican presidents, we don't entirely agree with their ideas and their policies, Uh, not just entirely, but I think pretty regularly, we do not agree with their policies. I don't think Ohio is a quote-unquote pro-life state or anti-choice state i think we're probably a fairly pro-choice state i think we're probably a little bit more accepting of lgbtq rights than a state like idaho is for example Um, we're not as red as it seems it's just we're pretty quiet in comparison to what we really could be and a state with so many universities that's a lot of organizing that can happen that's a lot of social networking that can happen a lot of spaces for civil society to take place and for people to engage outside of government action to then influence government action um that i don't know if we're actually using quite enough i i think it's so important you said that we have so many universities yeah more than most states by a long shot we have 14 public universities Mm -hmm. that's a lot, not to mention all of the private schools we have, yeah. and we have a good amount of community colleges. And Ohio State is one of the biggest in in the world. In the world, followed not even that distantly by Ohio University, um, which is also massive. Correct. They have OU has some regional campuses yeah. across the state. Kent's pretty huge. Kent's big. UC's big. Y- yeah, we're I mean, probably the smallest of the big schools in Ohio. Probably. And that being said, we're just under twenty thousand and hoping to increase the size of the campus and the on-campus housing in Cleveland State. So it's very possible that we end up growing or at least sticking around where we are, which is not all that small, all things considered. It's a medium-sized school. So I I am glad that you brought up university. So I'm taking an urban sustainability class, Mm -hmm. and my research project is comparing the major urban institutions of the three Cs, so University of Cincinnati, Ohio State, and Cleveland State, to their home city. Right. And something that Ohio State and the city of Columbus have gotten right is there are a lot of jobs in Columbus that require college degrees. Yes. There are a lot of high edu- higher education-related jobs. There are a lot of jobs that are in like the tech field, a lot of engineering jobs, things like that. Not to mention, Ohio State's uh, medical school is 
like top notch, rivaled only by the Cleveland Clinic. Yeah. But um, Wexner Medical Center, not Ohio State's medical college. But right. anyways, um, so a lot of people for the longest time would go to Ohio State from all over the world, and then they would stay in Columbus. And these people tend to vote blue. These people are young. These people are highly educated. Recently, with policies like SB 83 and things like that, these people come here, they get their degree, and it's likely that they don't stay. In yeah, more, more likely than it ever has been, especially right. over the past decade, that people come into Ohio State and then leave. And then increasingly more likely as well that people from Ohio, you know, let's say they're from North Olmstead, they go to Ohio State, and then they don't stay. They, right. They end up getting a job in D.C. or in they take Albany off. or something. Yeah, they're, they're gone. And, yeah, it's just we're not – we're an eds and med state. Meds and eds, eds and meds. But it's medical fields and education fields um, have, ever since the industrial downturn of the Great Lakes, dominated a lot of the Great Lakes states in terms of our economies. Agriculture is still massive in Ohio State. And University of Miami, schools like that, Miami University, still focus on things like agriculture and industry and engineering. Um, And I know that we've got the Intel plant um, coming in near Columbus. So those are the kind of things that are still focused on to a degree. But eds and meds are huge uh, in Ohio. Um, Cleveland Clinic, University Hospitals, Wexham Medical Center, um, Ohio State, Cleveland State, University of Cincinnati. These are, I mean, in, in the Cleveland area, in Cuyahoga County, that tandem that duo is the biggest employer essentially or the biggest two employers and it is a field of people that vote very blue very very blue more than probably almost any other and again being completely ignored subverted by the uh policies like sb83 um and not just the people working in those fields um but the people who benefit from them um, whether it's people who are trying to get an abortion, whether it's people who can't afford medical care and need somewhere to stay, um, if it's students going to school, um, trying to learn from these institutions. And, yeah. So I've gone on this tangent in the past, so I'm going to shorten it. But Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, Akron's a big uh, deep blue stronghold. Athens County, Ohio votes blue typically. Toledo Dayton. votes blue. Dayton is iffy. Iffy, but yeah, university. Does. So we have deep blue strongholds sprinkled throughout the state. Right. And there's no way that if every registered voter in those areas voted, that Ohio wouldn't be a blue state. Right. So but getting that kind of turnout is incredibly difficult. Correct. And if it did happen, enough from those strongholds to make the difference in a presidential election, especially one where you have anywhere close to as many people voting as voted in the last election, right, 80 million plus per candidate, uh, that's that would be completely historic. Correct. But just like the last election, completely historic things can happen. And unfortunately, sometimes completely historic things have to happen to make those kind of changes that we need. If we're just going to sit on our asses, nothing's going to change in Ohio. Um, and we things like do that. probably have to have a historic uh, string of elections and ballot measures and protests. That's the reality. Things like that only need to happen once, maybe twice, and then the floodgates are open. Right. Precedents sent. A, a paradigm shift. Right. Yeah. Once you have it happen, everybody knows it can, 
Um, it spells the end for a lot of the older GOP strategist types who then eventually realize, ah, crap, we don't have the kind of stranglehold that we thought we had, um, especially as they begin to retire and get replaced by younger folk who have much less of an idea what they're doing. Um, and it shows a way forward for younger people who thought there was no chance and became really apathetic about the futures in the state. Maybe not so apathetic when you realize that things can happen. It takes one or two ballot measures passing, an election going your way, like if Sherrod Brown wins in 24. Um, that's maybe not a paradigm shift because he's already a senator, but a ballot measure protecting abortion in Ohio, that shows something. I mean, just like we saw in Wisconsin with the uh, this Supreme Court election there, it shows that even though Wisconsin barely edged out a win for Biden, they are strongly in favor of uh pro-choice abortion rights and democracy and not in favor of election denying anti-choice wackos um and now people there know that even if it wasn't the youth of wisconsin who delivered that vote um although we'd like to believe it was and i like to kind of keep uh pushing the propaganda that it was uh all numbers indicate it, it really wasn't it's not like the youth didn't turn out they did turn out they just didn't turn out any more than they did in 2018 right. in elections then but the fact that that kind of win could happen before the youth really starts turning out is absolutely massive. So it shows something. It gives people hope. So your article. Yeah. What can we do from a college student perspective to maybe advocate against Senate Bill 83 or protect against like brain drain in Ohio, mm -hmm. things like that. What can we do from like a 19 to 25 year old perspective? There's probably a couple things. I'd say one thing, if you're in college or even if you're not in college, um, try to get involved with local organizing. Um, if it's canvassing going on or petition signing for ballot measures, um, door knocking, phone banking, sending out emails, Anything to spread awareness and engage with people so that you can learn more and build a network of people who understand the issues that you can learn from and also maybe they can learn from you. Uh, that is something that huge that you can do and really important to do at this age, especially if you're in college. It's very easy. If you're in high school, it's pretty easy. If you're of high school or college age and not in high school or college, still pretty doable. There are community-level things at rec centers and at other community centers, a lot of stuff online, um, as spooky and crazy as Twitter is, you can get involved even there. There, there are things you can do when it comes to organizing on the ground. Um, when it comes to fighting against brain drain, I think that's part of it because you'd be educating people on the issues and why it's important to continue to fight in Ohio. I think if you want to bite the bullet and stay and fight, I think that's important to do. I think there's people that are going to have to do that. And I think even for those who don't, those who leave, you can advocate for Ohio outside of Ohio. I think I just really want to see people to continue doing that. Um, even if you end up going to Chicago or Philadelphia or somewhere like that, because Cleveland just does not have the jobs that'll pay you what you need to live. Um, and the state is going completely against you from a cultural and social stance, uh, sense. 
you can still stand up for your home and the people in it because there are millions of us here um, who need to be fought for and millions who I think could be willing to fight and continuing to advocate from inside or outside the state is super important and even if you're young you think you may be ignored but you know who might not ignore you is people your age and once there's enough people our age who are advocating then nobody can ignore you even the older people so those so, are the two big things I'd say. obviously you and i are members of the csu college dems mm-hmm. i'm a member of franklin county democratic party and i've i don't vote straight ticket democrat I want everybody to know that. Mm-hmm. I don't vote straight ticket. But I tend to vote blue. And what do you think that we could do from a like party perspective, like Ohio Democratic Party, yeah. to fight these things? I think we've seen two types of Democratic parties in red states. There is the Florida Democratic Party, which turns over like a dead animal, doing absolutely nothing, yep. fundraising pathetic amounts uh, continuously losing elections that they should be winning the New York Dems are an example of the same thing but in a blue state Um, California Dems no different um, in another blue state and that sucks (laughs) but from a party perspective there are Democratic parties who continue to fight and take very very strong stances um, in states like Tennessee, as we've seen with the Tennessee Three, uh, in Nebraska, as we've seen fighting against um, anti-trans issues and anti-abortion measures there as well, um, where there have been Democrats on a party level who, even though their party structure and the system within their state um, is small, they leverage every single last bit of it that there is to fight for the people that they care about. So... I think although the Democratic Party in Ohio gets a pretty bad rep for being relatively weak because we've had to to completely give up on so many things, so many failed ballot measures and failed candidates, again, a few wins can make all the difference. I think if they just focus their money and time and and energy into races that they can win in close races, in organizing, in caring about the issues of young people... um, I mean, as, as much as I supported Tim Ryan against J.D. Vance, not continuously pushing xenophobia against China, even though, sure, economically, China is a quote-unquote enemy to the U.S., it's not something that 22-year-olds in Ohio are going to focus on above trans rights. It's just simply not. And it's not something you're going to get enough people to flip over for you on. Um, when it comes to trying to turn Republicans to your side in an election, um, and then you end up losing. Even though you end up doing relatively well compared to what you maybe were expected to do, part of that could be because J.D. Vance sucked as a candidate. I mean, he was really awful. So, yeah, I mean, the cards are stacked against you, but leverage what you have as as efficiently as you can and effectively as you can, and it's hard. It's not easy, obviously. It's an uphill battle. You're going to lose more than you're going to win. But when you get a couple really big wins or a couple really important wins that might not be that big, build off them. Like, let it keep snowballing and keep building pressure. And it's going to take time. It does take time when you're going uphill like this. I mean, it, it is slower to run or bike uphill than it is to go downhill. It's harder. But once you get there, now you can coast down the hill. 
And now it's easy and fun and relaxing and exciting. And that's what we could see in states like Georgia and Arizona that have gotten to the top of the hill. Maybe they slide back a little bit. Maybe they continue down. That's the benefit of being a swing state. Yeah. It's the benefit is there is a fire constantly behind you. Um, so you can't get too, too lazy like we've seen in New York and California. Um, but you also shouldn't give up and just let the fire get to you. So keep running. So I'm going to wind it down with one more big question and then a couple like itty bitty questions. All right. Uh, last big one. It's the same thing. What can we do uh, to fight against brain drain, stuff like that, but from a policy perspective? So yeah. one of the biggest parts of democracy is reaching out to your representatives, so your your state rep, your state mm-hmm. senator, stuff like that. Contrary to popular belief, these people actually listen. Yeah, they might not. It, they may not. They might not like do what you say, but they do appreciate your input. Yeah, even if you're like me, who my house rep is a Democrat, but my state senator is Republican. I've co- contacted her. I felt heard by my state senator, yeah. even though we disagree. So to somebody who wants to push for policy, because we are policy wonks here. Yeah. Um, somebody who wants to call, write a letter, send an email to their state rep, what is something that they should say to try to encourage blank type of policy yeah. in Ohio? I mean, it is important to let yourself be heard and let yourself be known. I think there's a couple major things that I focus on with this. The first is let it be known that these kind of policies are just not that popular when it comes to demonizing trans people or women um, in Ohio, um, demonizing black people in Ohio. Uh, These are not popular policies, realistically, especially with our age groups, especially with our age groups. And let that be known. Uh, Let it be known that there isn't really a place for this. There isn't really a demographic need for stuff like this. Like there, there's, they're pushing it, but they're not pushing it because it's being asked for. They're pushing it because they're scared. Make it known that you're not scared of them. Um, be really up, up front about that. Um, and second, um, in terms of not just pushing against those kind of policies, but pushing for better policies that can fight against brain drain is We, as a state, like I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, have the kinds of environmental and natural and locational resources that there are a few places in the world that can rival Ohio in terms of access to Lake Erie and our waterways and our soil types, um, our location within the United States and around the other Great Lakes states, um, the locations of our cities and the fact that we do have three major cities that are easily connected and can be even better connected by things like rail. Um, and with that, I say advocate for environmental um, and industrial, but from an environmental standpoint, policies that can strengthen Ohio by leveraging what it has for people who, in this case, will be making it known that that's the kind of things we want. We are a state on the lake. We are a city on the lake in Cleveland, and we continue to pollute the lake. We fight against wind power on the lake because it'll make the view bad. Um, there, there are, 
even though Lake Erie is an incredibly windy place year-round. Um, so let it be known that there are things about our location that we can leverage that are super, super rare um, and unique and special and that we want to leverage those things. I mean, not just that. I mean, from a locational standpoint as well, when uh, climate change inevitably wrecks countless parts of the world and the country, Ohio is one likely to see very little change directly in terms of our environment because the lake has a thermic effect that kind of insulates us from a lot of dramatic shifts in climate and weather, um, especially up along the lake, like in Cuyahoga County and Lake County. It's a special situation. I mean, we get more crazy storms than we used to, but we're not going to see droughts like Arizona's going to see. So we might start seeing some Arizonans become Ohioans eventually. Um, so build it as a state that can support those kind of people. Support a lot of people, a lot of young people, a lot of people who are not necessarily super wealthy. Essentially a more accepting, inviting state with more to offer. Because we can do that. We have the stuff. We just don't use the stuff. We fight over little things like banning books. Is that really worth it when we're on, you know, billions of dollars worth of renewable resources like wind? No, it's not worth it. So Never let's, give let's up on Ohio. Let's be smart. <laughs> exactly. Never give up on Ohio. So I want to give you an opportunity, again, in case you missed something, to tell everybody about your your article coming out here mm -hmm. in the uh, spring edition of The Vindicator. Yeah, so sometime within the next couple weeks, I hope, um, I have an article coming out about who owns the future of Ohio. Uh, so far, hint, hint, it's not the youth. But also, hint, hint, as I've spoken about on this podcast, it can be and should be. Um, so that's in The Vindicator, in the culture section. Um, it's more in-depth analysis and exactly what we talked about here. Um, talked about uh, Florida and Ron DeSantis and some of the things they've done there. I've given examples of some of the policies that have been passed and proposed um, in Ohio and in Florida. Um, and I will be writing more like that, um, possibly for the Vindicator, for the Cauldron, for, for people on Instagram in general. I'll put stuff out there. Um, and I think the more that people realize that students can speak out and write and talk to other students because this is really what this is for um the better off we could eventually be it's all about communication <laughs> this is what this is so i'm doing my part in communicating and i think that's something that a lot of other people can hopefully learn from that is that we can all talk and have a dialogue and if we're talking to each other, we're not shooting at each other. Right. So. Right. Um, so, that I mean, that's all I had. Uh, you have the floor again for any, like, final comments, anything else you want to say? Yeah, not, not too much. We mostly covered it. But, again, please watch the last special episode of the Policy Walk podcast. I was on there. We talked about some stuff involving Trump in the 2024 election. A little bit different than what we talked about here. Please read my article coming out in the Vindicator Spring Edition. Um, it talks about more about what we talked about here and continue to look out for other things that I put out and other appearances I'll have here. We'll make sure that our uh, PR person posts your story when it comes out. 
Awesome. Thank you. Well, that's all I had. Uh, keep uh, your eyes peeled for the next episode of Policy Wonk when it comes out. Um, keep your eyes peeled for Mike's story. Keep your eyes peeled for Cauldron articles that one of your hosts might be writing about striking and Senate Bill 83. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, about that. yeah. that's all I have. Have a good day. Yeah.